Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Becco and my partner. Ari, hello. How's everybody? Uh, how are you? Uh, how are you doing, Ari? Feels like uh, like a month since we last recorded. So I know. It really has been, I think. Yeah. So we yeah. just had to churn through our entire backlog of uh, things. So now we're <laughs> getting back to it. We're back into it now. Yeah, well, we're start we're starting off with the with a really good company, Foot Locker. Um, this was one of those companies that was suggested by one of our, um, actually a few of our listeners. Yep. So I think this is a good good candidate to uh, to go over for this episode. Uh, so before we do that, can you give us a disclaimer, Hari? Yeah. So um, the uh, Value Investor TV podcast is here to educate you and uh, entertain you about value investing. Uh, we are here to t- you know teach you the principles of value investing. We are not financial advisors. We don't know your specific financial situation. Uh, so uh, if you need to make any financial decisions, consult a uh, tax or financial advisor before doing so. Okay, awesome. <clears throat> Let's get into it. Um, obviously, as you guys know already, um, we're going down a ch- going down a checklist when we analyze a company. Uh, today, this episode, we're going to talk about Foot Locker, but as with any company, we go down a checklist, um, and we made our own checklist based on our experience, our research, and other people's research. Um, so if you guys want access to our checklist, please email us at info at valueinvestor.org or tweet us at info, or <laughs> I always get this part wrong, yeah. tweet us at valueinvestortv, at valueinvestortv. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, if you also have, uh, just like the other listeners who have emailed us about Foot Locker, you can send us an email if you want us to review a, a particular company or go over a specific topic. Or if you just have any questions that you have, please email us. We love hearing from you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, should we get started, Harry? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so we're going to go down our checklist. And uh, so, Becco, kind of... Uh, walk us through what does uh, Foot Locker do, and uh, you know, tell us tell us about um, the company. Yeah, I think if you're an American listener listening in in, in the U.S., um, I think it's um, I don't have to go into too detail to explain to you what Foot Locker is because I think every one of us have ex- have seen it, have experienced it. So Foot Locker is a retail store that sells um, footwear as well as apparel. They are located in a high traffic area, for example, in malls or uh, streets where there are a lot of high traffic, foot traffic. They sell um, lifestyle brands, uh, but also athletic brands. So Nike, Adidas, Puma, and lifestyle brand. Um, more recently, Fila, Champs, uh, and a few other brands. Uh, they, they are basically a retail outlet for these um for these uh, uh, apparel and footwear producers, manufacturers. So if I could give you some highlights on um, on their footprint, they have 3,000, over 3,000 athletic retail stores in 27 countries. So they're pretty, you know, they're not just, they're not just doing business over here in North America. They're doing business all across the world, 27 countries. They have a pretty sizable, they're growing their presence as with any retail, right? As with any retail, they're growing their website and mobile presence. 
I think this is a common theme that we see when we uh, analyze retail companies or even manufacture themselves. They're trying to really push into the web space. Um, a little color on the employees, 15,000 full-time employee and then part-time 33,000 employees. Um, and then uh, just some color on the size of the company. Uh, so right now we are recording mid-August um, and some of you, if you guys have been following news, there's there's been sort of dip in the market. So right now, their market cap is $4.25 billion and their share price is around is trading at around $38. Uh, they're they're listed in New York Stock Exchange under the um, under the ticker symbol FL, and they're also uh, listed in German stock exchange Boris Stuart Stock Exchange as well. So that those are some of the highlights, and we can go into more detail later on. Yeah. So can I cover the bases. Yeah, yeah that that kind of gives us an idea of what we're talking about. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think we. You know, as we go through this, we'll probably get a better understanding of what they do and how they do it. But um, why don't we also talk about what we think their competitive advantages are and try and establish what their uh, moat could possibly be? So yeah, I think this. Yeah. So so uh, let's we'll walk down the list because it's I think it's easier so that we don't miss anything. Um, you know, so they're a big part of the sneaker culture. You know, here in the U.S. and you know, sneakers are something that are kind of taken over uh everywhere um but you know do they have a brand that is recognizable and that provides them a competitive advantage would somebody buy their shoes say at Foot Locker versus Dick's Sporting Goods or Amazon or any of the other stores to me the competitive advantage is not I think they have some advantage but I don't know if it's I don't know if it's something that we could classify it it as a moat so for example um foot locker definitely has is trying to create their own unique culture around shopping at foot locker by becoming what they call themselves hyper local so they're trying to brand themselves as a hyper local culturally sensitive you know relevant with time sort of retail outlet where they're selling the most you know up-to-date the newest and the hottest goods out there but to me as a retail store um the the mode itself the that mode uh, the sort of marketing and branding moat is there but it is not strong enough in my opinion for example a customer buying from footlock or a customer buying from uh, adidas shoes and footlocker versus buying from finish line or, or amazon to your point um there's really no difference ultimately to the end customer. And for them, uh, they're trying to change that by having these cultural sort of blockades around it. But I'm not sure um, if I could classify that as a strong moat. What do you think? Well, I mean, the only thing I can think of, and you know, I, I am not as familiar with it as, as you are, is, you know, do they have any exclusives with Nike or Adidas or something like that, that, if I wanted to buy this particular shoe, there is no other place to buy it other than Foot Locker. From what I understand, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, I think they. I think they definitely. I, they might. Uh, um, this is something that I could further look into. But from what I gather, and even if they, even if there was an exclusive, 
it would be very small increment to the revenue anyway. So I'm not sure if that's actually providing any sort of protective moat for their business. From what I see in terms of exclusive, I don't see that that is the case. But I think they're trying to combat that, combat that lack of sort of the lack of competitive advantage by having these sort of hyper local culture around them. Um, yeah. Okay. But going back to your question about competitive advantage. I think this one's kind of tricky because, you know, with, with for example, like uh, great, uh, Canada Goose, I keep saying Great Goose, <laughs> Canada Goose, uh, um, Skechers, these are, you know, these are brands themselves. They make their own stuff. Right. Whereas Foot Locker or Ulta, these are distributors and retail outlets that sells collection of these uh, merchandise. So... I think it's a, I think it's a layer removed from the content owner themselves. So, how do you create a moat in this industry? Yeah, well, well, one of the things that Ulta did that was, <clears throat> I think, uh, pretty powerful was, you know, they have a high loyalty rate because of their, uh, shopper, you know, frequent shopper card. You know, so there's a ninety percent of I think was their customers or you know frequent shoppers there. So, you know, they have a a culture that's built around it and then they use a, a rewards program to help you. And then they have, you know, their uh, beauty supply and uh, salon built in. So it was kind of like a one-stop, you know, shop here. Now, I mean, to some extent, Foot Locker has that. It's, you know, you can get your apparel and your shoes there. So you could basically, you know, outfit yourself for that. But, I mean, I agree with you. Foot Locker is... I can go there. I can go like literally next door is finish line, um, you know, and I can sh shop online. I can go to Dick's. I can go to, you know, any number of other, you know, stores uh, to find similar items. So it's a little challenging for me to see that there's a, a moat. I mean, Foot Locker has a well-known brand, but I don't know that it translates into an exclusivity with customers, right? Um Exactly. So let's talk about the other types of moats and see if they have anything that could be potential here. Sure, so sure. network effects, um, you know, do they have something that if people buy, they're more likely other people would come to that store to buy as well? I, I mean, I could see an edge case where that could be possible, for example, amongst like small circles of high school students or, you know, young you know, people in their uh, low 20s where, it's like a it's like a hype thing where people have to go there to buy a certain product because every one of their friends are doing it so i have to do it myself too so i could see like small maybe a tiny effect but it's it doesn't have a sizable material impact on the business itself i think what yeah. do you think Hari? yeah i agree i mean there's no real network effects here i mean it's more like an ebay or facebook where you know, the, the buyers come because they're sellers and the sellers come because there are buyers, you know, that kind of thing. You know, you sign up for a social media because you're all, all your friends are on it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yep. So, yeah, I agree with you. There's not much there. Uh, switching costs. So is there, you know, if, if I buy my next pair of shoes, you know, uh, now that I have Foot Locker, if I buy my next pair, my more, more or less likely to buy because I bought it at Foot Locker before, uh, you know, how, how do you see that? Yeah, I think that's a that's a no. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I think it's easy to see that. 
as a consumer, if I go to Foot Locker to buy a pair of shoes today, it doesn't lock me into buying another pair of shoes six months down the road at Foot Locker. Right. If the price is competitive, I would go there. If the price is competitive or the location is convenient for me, but just by the fact that it is Foot Locker doesn't draw me to Foot Locker. Yeah. Well, and then here's a, you know, to your point there, you know, are they a low cost provider of <clears throat> shoes and apparel uh, relative to, you know, uh, everybody else in the industry? And uh, what do you think about that one? Yeah, I mean, these are, if you if you think about it from kind of value chain perspective, you have the manufacturer themselves. These are factory owners that are just printing out shoes. And then, and then the next layer is uh, the company's their own retail store. So Nike will, ha- will have their own retail store. Adidas will have their own retail store. And then the third sort of bucket is, is what I call kind of footlocker type of the world where you are getting material from the, the second and the first layer and then selling it in their, in their own retail shop. Yep. If you think about it that way, I mean, ultimately, you have to make money somehow. So you have to add a layer of margin to those shoes that you're getting from manufacturers or uh, the retail shops uh, themselves. So I don't think they can... If, realistically mathematically they can um, provide the lowest product you know it's just not possible yeah and you know that you know when we talked about sketchers just to kind of emphasize like you know their related industry uh, footwear industry you know sketchers would sell into retail stores and then they had their own retail stores so they were selling wholesale to companies i don't know that footlocker carries sketchers but other uh, wholesalers or other retailers like JCPenney and, um, you know, Walmart and, and so forth were carrying Skechers. Um, mm-hmm. And Skechers saw better, you know, uh, money out of their own retail stores because they could offer a wider selection uh, of their own stores. They had guaranteed shelf space because it's their own store. They can, you know, stock it with whatever they want. You know, mm-hmm. so, I mean, in, in some sense, Foot Locker is fighting Nike for, uh, for Nike's, you know, stuff, right? And, Exactly. Nike is going to do whatever benefits Nike, right? Which is, uh, you know, if it if I'm, it's bet, yeah, if it's better to go sell through Foot Locker, they will, or if it's better to sell through their own retail stores, they will, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you mentioned Nike. I want to bring up a interesting factoid here. Uh, so one of the, I mean, we'll go into this, but one of the one of the things that Foot Locker and any retail store of this type, for that matter, is that they have to maintain a good relationship with their suppliers. If you look, Nike, you mentioned Nike. Nike is actually accounts for 66% of all merchandise. So think about that. Think about how much Nike, how much power Nike has over Foot Locker. Yeah. They're demanding six, they're demanding a two thirds of their business in Foot Locker. So the power is very asymmetric here. And, um, and we'll go we'll go over this later, but it's it's one of those it's one of those risk risks that we have to account for when we're analyzing this company. And yeah. On the on the on the topic of merchandise uh, suppliers, ninety um, percent of all merchandise come from five top top five uh, suppliers. So we'll, we'll go into the detail later on, but uh, I just wanted to point that out since you mentioned Nike. Okay, so let's uh, now that we have talked about um, the uh, competitive advantages, which we've basically said there aren't really anything strong. Maybe the brand is there. Maybe that's 
the only real value that you know we can say is you know driving traffic to Foot Locker. You know how durable is the advantage? You know one one thing we should say is you know if you have three thousand stores, uh, you have a very local presence pretty much anywhere you go, um, and and so that is that is its own advantage. But you know what are the risks given the current retail climate that we have? Um, you know, more people are shopping online, more people are avoiding um, malls. There are lots of stores that I'm sure Foot Locker has in lower or declining traffic areas. So, uh, you know, how durable do you think this advantage is and how could that possibly could that potentially erode uh, sales and, uh, you know, earnings? Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point, and this is the point that all the retailers are grappling right with right now. How do you deal with the online? How do you deal with, um, you know, especially also, especially because Foot Locker is targeting people in their twenties in this you know footwear culture, and this group of twenties and teens they're hypersensitive to the trends in the uh, in the apps and and mobile mobile trends. And so, how do you grapple with that in the age of Amazon in the age of two day shipping? So, I mean, you bring up a good point. Are people going to go out shopping um, in the future? You know, that's something that, that Foot Locker has to account for. And one of the ways that they're trying to combat this is by saying, we have a lot of, we have a lot of retail outlets already. Why don't we, ret- why don't we retrofit them um, and make it better so that we can attract more customers? So what they're doing is they're changing their store format into... Um, what's called power store so it's a kind of premium retail design where uh, you are where you you have these um, it's not like a conventional foot locker it's more of a it's more of a premium sort of store where you have premium sneaker sneakers and apparels and uh, it's this is this is directly from their 10k designed to inspire youth culture and connect to and celebrate local communities and so I think, again, going back to the question of how do you how do you grapple with uh, changing trends in in shopping? Um, they're of course pursuing the mobile uh, and 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 web side of things, but also on the retail side of things, they're changing how they're structuring their retail stores so that they can attract more patients and and also to sell higher quality premium brands so that they have a higher margin business. Uh, on, in, in physical brick and mortar retail stores, um, and and I guess to your question, in terms of competitive competitive advantage durability, um, it's it's low, yeah, I think it's low. So you know that's why I think there are all these initiatives that they're starting to roll out to combat that. Well, I, I mean it's it's always challenging, right, in retail stores to have. Um, you know, you're either the biggest player in the space, you're a low cost provider, you know, Foot Locker doesn't seem to have uh, that as a competitive advantage in any of those things. So, you know, I, I mean, what we're, I think what we're both saying here is that there isn't much really, right? You are kind of at the mercy of the market, uh, you know, and you could be taken out by Amazon, you could be taken out by unlikely to be another foot re- footwear retailer, but I think your challenge is always going to be a, you know, people just pick your store and then they go somewhere else. There's not a real loyalty to the the brand. So, yeah. 
Um, okay, yeah. so like uh, looking at this, what what do you think is the long term prospects for growth? Uh, and you know, do they have a long runway? You know, to continue growing. I mean, they're at three thousand stores, twenty seven countries. Um, are there more opportunities for growth? You know, by opening up more stores. Um, so they are closing down some stores that are underperforming and opening new ones and also retrofitting uh, some existing ones. In terms of the law, in terms of the runway for growth, let me give you some color on uh, 3,000 stores and then 27 countries. So um, in the U.S., as of February 2nd, 2019, uh, about 8, 800 stores in Europe, about 600 stores. In Canada, about 100 stores. Uh, in Pacific and Asia, uh, about 100 stores also. And then there are other... Foot Locker Inc. Is, is what we're talking about. In Foot Locker Inc., the parent company, there's also a subsidiary called uh, Lady of Foot Locker, Kids Foot Locker, uh, Champs Sports, Foot Action, Runner's Point, Sidestep, there's these other subsidiaries, which all combined make up the 3,000 uh, store footprints. And, uh, you know, they're, they're everywhere. Like I said, Europe, U.S., Canada, Asia, and they're expanding into other Asian markets. So, for example, China, they're partnering up with Tmall to distribute um, their products. But again, it, it begs the question of do they really have a competitive advantage, advantage there if Nike can sell directly to Tmall? Like, why would a retail store partner up with a retail store to buy, to sell a product, right? Um, but to, to your question, in terms of run runway for growth, I think they're sort of at reaching the peak here. You know, okay. they've grown to quite a bit of size. I mean, last year, let's look at their growth rate. Last year, total sales was $7.9 billion, increasing increase of 3.3% and comparable sales gain of 2.7%. So they're just eking, you know, little growth just above inflation. And I'm not sure how long, I mean, I mean we're kind of seeing the tail end of this already. So, um, so okay. the answer to your question, I think it's pretty limited. Well, so how does that, uh, you know, how do we look at it from a capital reinvestment perspective you know do they require a lot of money to you know it's a mature business how much money do they have to spend to maintain their uh operations um could they potentially grow without investment or reinvestment yeah um so let me give you kind of rundown of where where they're putting their money in terms of capex yep so they're putting their money into couple things one is digital and logistics capability so what that means is uh, let me give you the exact quote updating digital platforms relaunching our mobile apps testing the potential value of rfid rolling out new point of sale software groundwork for innovation a new membership program so that's that's what is defined as digital and logistics logistics capability and the other the other uh, prong of this investing is new store model. So this is basically what I said uh, earlier about power store. So this is meant to be is meant to serve as a hub for sneaker culture, art, music, and sports. 
So they're putting their money into digital infrastructure, um, basically digital infrastructure, distribution, and then better store outlet. So those are two places where they're putting their money into. So in last year, if you look at their CapEx, they spent about $187 million into the business. And then in 2019, this year, they're planning on spending $275 million um, with really key focus on uh, with key focus on the second aspect of an invest of that of that of that capital program, which is the power store, getting these new store up 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 and running. Yeah, how are the power stores doing? Can we uh, like can do we have any idea how? So they're spending two hundred and seventy five million dollars on this power store concept. Have they piloted it yet, and have we seen any results from it? Yeah, they've piloted it. Um, let me pull up the exact. So they. They piloted in the first location in the U.S., uh, and they're also going after a few places in Asia as well. And okay. as to the results of these power stores, I haven't been able to find um, specific results about around the power store. Okay. But it seems to be their, their big drive here. And okay. I think this relates to their objective, their long-term objective. If I could, if I could just paint more color on that. So... The Foot Locker executives, this is sort of their their five-year vision. This is sort of the strategic framework that they're using. It's five Cs. They call it five Cs. Collections, content, community, connectivity, and convenience. And so these are sort of the top five Cs, they, they call it. Um, new customer connected strategic framework is what they call it. Um, I think this is a, is aligned with what they're trying to pursue here. Um, you know, it's a hyper local. It has good, you know, it has good content uh, with arts, with the co- co- um, you know uh, collection of art, music, uh, this uh, sneaker culture, trying to establish this sort of community and convenience. Now the question is: Is this going to is this going to drive revenue, more revenue, directly or indirectly? That's a question, um, and yeah. I'm not sure. I don't know the answer to that question. Okay, so right now we're, I mean, they're trying to, attempting to grow, which may or may not be a good thing depending on, you know, how this turns out, right? Um, okay, let's let's kind of uh, look at their relationships because we had alluded to this earlier. Uh, you know, how, how do they have relationships with, or how are their relationships with customers? Um, we've seen or, you know, doesn't seem to be any loyalty, but doesn't seem to be, you know, is there any problems, I guess? Yeah, I don't see any, I don't see any glaring problems. I'm sure, you know, in stores here and there, I'm sure there's some problems with management and stuff like that. But overall, I don't see any glaring issues okay. with customers. All right. How how about uh, their suppliers? So you've, we've alluded to that, that Nike is a majority of their revenue. So what do you see that uh, as a problem? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting kind of power dynamic, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, two-thirds, this is, we're talking about, I mean, Ulta, if we if we compare this to Ulta, Ulta has collection of beauty products from all kinds of manufacturers, right? Right. Whereas Foot Locker, you're talking about two-thirds of their entire merchandise is coming from one vendor. Yep. I mean, they, they wield some great power over Foot Locker, in my opinion. No, how, and, I mean, but it does work both ways, though, right? I mean, you would you would see that Nike also 
wants to make sure that if you know they're selling five billion dollars worth of uh apparel and sneakers at footlocker that's footlocker is happy too right sure let's see what is nike's revenue let me just do it oh it's it's in the you know i i think it's close to like 50 billion or something like that yeah so in terms of i mean they are dependent on footlocker but not to the extent that footlocker is dependent on nike yeah and um, if I look at some other statistics around suppliers, this is something that I mentioned already. 90% of merchandise is coming from top five suppliers. Uh, so dependence, dependency there is quite high. Uh, it really depends on their ability to obtain premium quality product from these merchandise, from, from these uh, stores. Right. Not stores, sorry. Uh, these producers. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's potential risk there that, you know, Nike or one of the other five uh, pulls out or, you know, has a problem or, uh, you know, change in their, you know, their brand could potentially have an impact on Foot Locker. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, any problems that you see with their relationships with their employees? Uh, uh, not that I can think of, not that I can see. Um, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, I said 15,000 full-time employees and they have a lot of they have a lot of part-time employees 33,000 yeah um, so I don't I don't see a problem here but it, you know there there are possibly a, you know hidden problems here and there when you're dealing with that many employees I'm sure some problems here and there but overall I don't see a major issue okay well you know that kind of brings us to the end of this uh you know part one here um so you know we've looked at a, you know, kind of the business, the overview and, you know, what, a, what we think could potentially be a moat for the, for Foot Locker, which, I mean, it doesn't sound like there is a tremendously strong, you know, moat here. It's kind of a relying on their brand, um, which doesn't carry too much, uh, and, you know, weight. Um, but, you know, when we go into part two, we'll talk a little bit more about management valuation, uh, profitability for the company and you know is this you know despite there being no moat could there potentially still be a uh, uh, value in this company that uh, or a significant margin of safety for an investment mm -hmm. yeah i think that's a good point to end this episode all right all right well thanks a lot um and i guess we'll see you guys on uh part two great see you guys later thanks. all right thanks